Hello, and welcome to Hardy Party at Five and a Half. Woo! Hey, I made it. Babe, why are you dressed like Ben Stiller from Dodgeball? <laughs> hey, that's not a bad look, right? <laughs> well, I've been training, Rebecca. Okay, what have you been training for? Well, I've decided since we were talking to Derek today, okay, who was in the Barcelona Olympics in 92, yeah, one of the fastest runners ever, I figured, why can't I do this? So I've got my, I've got everything on. I've been training for at least two or three hours yeah. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I can make the Olympics in the 400 meter. Two or three hours? Yeah. Is that what you said? Hmm. Well, I would say that maybe you're a little disillusioned. I mean, you are like the fastest runner, honestly, in our house. Right. There you go. For sure. And usually, That's one step right there. Yeah. Step one. <laughs> but I do think you're going to need a little more training than you think? just two or three hours. I feel like I'm pretty ready. No? It just sounds like an injury waiting to happen. And then once we talk to Derek Redmond today, you're going to see what it does take to be an Olympic athlete i mean he's got everything down to a t and a science also we talk a little bit about like the mental challenge up there too which you know i'm not saying you just three three hours of mental <laughs> mental challenge might not be what it's it not takes. quite enough to make the olympics i don't think it's quite enough okay maybe i should bring my expectations down a little <laughs> that's right yeah. we also talk about that yep. so you're gonna love this interview with Derek redmond Derek Redmond didn't finish in first place in the 1992 400 meter. He didn't finish in second, or third, or fourth. He and his father finished dead last. But he and his father finished. Thank you so much for joining Hardy Party Five and a Half. Like I said, I know it's a different time for you than it is for us and a little different for you, but we just appreciate you taking time with us today. No problems. My pleasure. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in London? Also, like, was track and field like a big thing in your area, in your school? Yeah. I mean, I I, I didn't grow up in London. I'm about an hour north of London. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I was born in a place called Milton Keynes, which is about an hour north um, of London. Um, track and field was is, was always a popular sport in the UK. It's actually bigger. It's more popular in the UK than it is generally in the US. Okay. Uh, and you've got the big four, obviously, with with what you recall football. We call it American <laughs> football because football to us is what you call soccer. That's um, right. So, yeah. um, so, you know, with football, with basketball, with baseball, and obviously uh, ice hockey, I guess, are pretty, you know, they're all in front of track and field in, in the States. Really? Even yeah. uh, tennis is maybe, you know, so... For, but in, in the UK, soccer is the biggest sport. You've got rugby, cricket, and then possibly track and field. So yeah. it's always been a popular sport in the UK. And um, yeah, it was popular at school. It was certainly one of the uh, activities we did at at, at, uh, at uh, school, elementary, high school, and obviously going on to university. Yeah. Well. So when did you realize you were like the fastest person at yeah. your school? Pretty early. I mean, I always was, even in elementary school, I was pretty quick. Um, I joined my first track club when I was seven. So still sort of elementary age. Yeah. Uh, and then going through to high school, I was always one of the quickest. Um, but I played other sports as well. I played soccer. I was big into rugby, huge into basketball. Um, I, I was even in a gymnastics team. So I kind of did a, a lot of sports. But yeah, 
I guess track and field was the one that I I, I really enjoyed and really excelled at, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I realized pretty early on that I'm terrible at running and I'm the slowest person in our school. <laughs> Actually the slowest person. He's so much faster. And even still, he can beat all of our kids in a in a foot race, but I'm the slowest person. I can't imagine running that fast. And you've broken the British 400 meter record twice, right? Yeah, twice. How, what is what is it like to like Give her an idea run that fast? I can't imagine. Well, do you know what? It's 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 difficult to explain because at the end of the day, we can all run as fast as we can. It's just that my fastest I can is quicker than or was quicker than most in the world. Um, yeah. But you're still trying a hundred percent and giving your 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 all. So. My fast as I can actually is no different effort wise, feeling wise, as your fast as you can. It's just that I'm traveling quicker. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's really the only way that I can, you know, really explain it. Um, yeah. But by the time I hit the age of 19, I'd already had junior internationals and goodness knows what. And by the time I hit the age of 19, um, in fact, 27th of July, 1985 at 11.45 p.m., my life changed. Um, I ran in my first um, big meet, which is um, back then it was called the Golden League. It's a whole series of of uh, track meets around the world. It's now called the Diamond League. Uh, it used to be called the Golden League because if you won them all, you won a a million dollars in gold. Now it's a million dollars in 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 diamonds. Oh, wow. um, and I I ran in my first meet. Uh, my manager agent at the time managed to get me a lane. And I went into that race ranked, I think, seventh in the UK. And I came out ranked fifth in the world um, just with one lap. Just broke the British record, won the race, run a sub 45 time. And, yeah, my life just changed from there. And you asked about what it feels like to run fast. Well, that was a feeling of just shock that I was always running fast, but to run that quick uh, and to elevate myself to... To being all of a sudden world class was uh, uh was 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 a bit of a shock, yeah. Yeah, that's the first time you realized that. Um, well, it was the first time I'd run that quick. I knew I could be quick. I knew I was yeah. quick, and I knew I had talent, and I knew I could possibly make the Olympics one day. Uh-huh. But to go from making the Olympics to, oh my goodness, I've gone from possibly I might be able to make the Olympics to, I'm going to make the Olympics, and oh my god, I could possibly, you know, vie for a medal. Right. Um, you know. So yeah, you, you know, you're you're. How can I word it? Your 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 expectations kind of change as you yeah. get better and better and better, uh-huh. and with that obviously comes more pressure, and and actually more disappointment because the better you get and the higher you think you can perform, if you don't get anywhere near that, you become disappointed. So yeah. actually the the um, bandwidth of success. It's quite small when it becomes mm. you know, to want to become an Olympic medalist. Yeah. Which means the bandwidth to what you deem as failure gets a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger. Uh, yeah. Um, whereas when I got into the sport, it was the other way around. I had no expectations. So anything was success. Huh. Uh, you know, so the bandwidth was huge and the bandwidth of failure was small because I had no idea how far I could or couldn't go. Right. Wow. That's 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 an interesting concept of yeah, it's more disappointing if you don't when you're the favored guy. Now it's disappointing that you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, if you you take Usain Bolt, you know, there's a saying, you know, that they always say, you know, one of the great sayings of the Olympics is it's 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 not the winning, it's the taking part. 
Try telling Usain Bolt that. (laughs) If he goes to Olympics and gets knocked out in the heat, he's not going to go, oh, well, I made it to the Olympics. Right, yeah. Not when you're the world record holder and you're expected to win. Right. Even if he got a silver, he's not going to be, you know, super happy when you've already won gold and this and that. So if you look at, and I'm talking the top level, but that's what we're talking about. So when you get people who are capable and expected to at least win a medal, but most probably win gold, anything else is going to be a disappointment. Mm. So his bandwidth for disappointment and failure is huge. Yeah. Compared to his bandwidth for success, which will for him was only winning Olympic gold and possibly breaking the world record. Um, uh, And and, and that's the, you know, the, the circumstances that he... And others, mine wasn't quite like his bandwidth, <laughs> you know. But that's what we—that's what we had to work with, and and that's you know what you had to deal with, and that's what you train for, and that's part of the reasons you know there's so much pressure on you, and you know. But having said all that, Usain Bolt included, we just go out there and do what we do best: run as fast as we can. And as, as I said just now, you know, Usain Bolt running as quick as the next person they're both doing the same thing it's just that his quicker is slightly quicker than <laughs> not slightly but yeah. well yeah <laughs> so speaking of expectations i want to take you to the 91 world championships that were in tokyo yeah and the u.s were supposed to win that and i Again, think the yeah. team that y'all ended up winning so talk about those expectations going in and how that played out once you got there and well if it. i look if i look at myself as an individual i went there um, not 100% in shape. Uh, and first and foremost, you know, we're individual athletes. We run in the individual 400. Um, and every major championship I've been to, I'd always made the final and, and you know, and battled it out for medals. And although I'd had a bit of time out through, through injury, I kind of went into those championships thinking I'd at least make the final and let's see what happens. And I didn't make the final in the um, individual. I got knocked out in the semi. And I just wasn't, in shape you know I was running way below par uh I just I could have done with another two months preparation and racing to be honest with you before yeah. the world championships but it, it, anyway it didn't happen and I went to the team manager and said look I think I should pull out of the relay squad because you've got five other good guys I don't think I'm running well I don't want to bring them down and we got a chance of, of winning a medal and the U.S. were the favorites I mean they you know they had the fastest time that year they were the reigning world Olympic champions they held the world record and they hadn't been beaten for 57 years at world or Olympic level. <laughs> um, so, you know, but we, you know, Great Britain, we had good tradition in, in the in the relay. You know, we were the second fastest in the world. We had the second fastest, well, we're second fastest ever, second fastest that year, reigning um, silver medalist from the previous world championship. So, you know, if we'd come away with anything less than a silver, we would have been disappointed. Mm-hmm. But we for some reason, just felt that we had a chance of the gold. And incidentally, when I suggested to the coaches about pulling out, they said, look, let's just run the prelims, see how you are, and then we'll make a decision from there. And there was, a for me, saying I was going to pull out to the prelims, it was about seven, six, seven days. So I had a few days to get some good speed working and a bit of extra training, because I was getting quicker, just not quick enough. Um, <laughs> I wasn't getting quick enough, quick enough, if that makes sense. <laughs> um and uh, uh, and actually, I ran in the prelims and I ran really well. Won my quickest time of the year and felt really good. Uh, and and, uh, and the rest of the guys were running well. And we ran very quick, well within ourselves. Um, we rested two of our quickest guys. Um, and me, not in great shape. And then one other guy who was in great shape himself won a surprise medal at those world championships. Um, 
you know, we were, we were looking good. Um, we knew the Americans were, were going to be tough. Likewise, they rested two of their big guys. One of their guys had won the 400 meters, so he was the world champion um, <laughs> um, in, in the 400. He defeated uh, one of our guys who finished second. He won a world silver. And uh, we knew, we, as always, they had, uh, you know, big guns to to, to, to bring into the uh, to the final. And when we were told the four and the order, we knew the four that were going to be and we knew the order they were going to pick because it was pretty much the same standard way of picking the order. Um, that would have been about eight o'clock the night before the final, nine o'clock. We're sitting down having something to eat. And by the time we all gone to bed, me and one of the other teammates were sharing a room and then two others were sharing a room and the two reserve, the two alternates were sharing a room. And we ended up getting together and having a conversation because two of the guys, um, Chris and Roger, were having a conversation in their room and they just felt we needed to switch it up a bit. Cut a long story short, we came to mine and John room, one of the other guys. We had a long conversation. We talked about switching the order up, went to the team management. They weren't really happy um, because we'd not practiced any, you know, done any um, batting practice in that particular order. Yeah. And we just said, look, we got nothing to lose because if we get it wrong, we'll win a silver. Yeah. And if we get it right, we got a chance of winning a gold. And the team management said, go for it. We did, and by the skin of our teeth, we ended up winning, uh, winning the gold, and for the first time in fifty-seven years. Wow! Um, sorry for all the listeners. Um, hopefully, they haven't switched <laughs> off. The first time that uh, American team in a, in a men's four by four relay team got defeated, um, and that was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I just just a note on the competition. I think of basketball where there's a lot of there's tends to be a lot of trash talk in basketball. Is there? With the track and field athletes, do y'all trash talk between each other? Or are you just yeah? There's, there's good banter. There's there's, there's good yeah. banter as we okay. call it. So yeah. I spent most of us spent a lot of time training on your side of the pond. So I spent a lot of time at UCLA. Hell of a lot of time at UCLA. So I trained with athletes like Kevin Young, Steve Lewis, Mike Mars, Danny Everett, loads of guys. Um, all Olympic and world champions, by the way. I've just mentioned that. Um, we know a lot of the coaches in and around the area. So, yeah, we got on really well with them. And there was always trash talk, yeah. you know. Um, I'll be honest with you, it was more the coaches than it was the athletes. The coaches yeah. would give, especially the U.S. coaches, they used to give us a hard time, Tony Campbell, and but in a really cool way. They were great yeah. guys, you know. So there was never any sort of venom or malice yeah. in yeah. the conversation. But, of course, there was always trash talk, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's good, healthy fun, and you know, uh, and 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 yeah, we enjoyed that. We had good competition with them. We had, you know, from a British perspective, we had a huge rivalry with the Australians. So that always ended up in food fights. Again, trash talking, <laughs> food fights, all done in 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 a you know in a real fun you know yeah. uh, healthy way. So, but yes, there was a lot of trash talk because <laughs> okay. it's when you see track and field on the TV, it, you look very stoic and focused and all that, and you think, oh, they don't even talk to each other. But yeah, it's, it's normal. It's like well, it's, it's my see. My wife says that because my wife, she knows obviously met me, and I'm with a comedian and laugh and joke and this and that. And even when she looks at old races of me, she goes, "You look so miserable." And that's what I'm just <laughs> about to compete. Yeah, you know, for a medal. So obviously, when a camera comes into your face and you're standing in your lane, and there's seven other guys around you, you are serious yeah. at that moment, you know. And I yeah. say you don't see a judge, you know, or or, or a lawyer or somebody 
walking into court going, hey, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> yeah. serious. Yeah. Because they're going to work, and that's exactly yeah. what we were doing. Yeah. Once they won the case, and goodness knows what, yeah, you know, they could be, yeah. you know, making on the table, drinking beer, or whatever they're doing. But <laughs> at the time, you're you're working, and that's exactly yeah. the same as us. Um, and as soon as the race is over, as soon as you cross the line, everyone's friends again, and you know, back <laughs> in the Olympic Village or whatever, everyone's everyone's cool. But yes, we do look very serious at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, but then is it any different from two boxers when they meet in the middle of the ring to get their last orders from the referee? They're not going to be laughing and joking and right. you know, giving That's it all that, aren't they? <laughs> That's so true. I'm the mom of three boys, and you know I've got this one, so I'm the biggest trash talker in the house. Yeah, you are. But right. I like for my boys to back it up, so I can appreciate the coaches. You know, they're like yeah. they want to lay it out there, but you guys better handle business for us. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta give as good as you get, but you gotta back up. You gotta back it up. You gotta be able to back it up. Yeah, yeah. And you know, your your body needs to cash checks that your mouth writes. That's what I will say. (laughs) That's right. So tell me about your training. Like you, you said just a minute ago that like you were getting faster, just not quick enough. So were you doing like some last minute training there? And then like, what does that look like over time? Do you like do the same thing every Monday? Do you do the same thing every Tuesday? No, no, no. Um. So there's two questions you've really asked there. So the training for, you know, for an athlete competing at a championships in the summer and preparing for the summer, you know, obviously starts in the winter. It starts, you know, the previous winter, I don't know, September, September, October time. And you go through different stages. So I work on, you know, it's quite complicated. So you divide the 400 up into however you run it. You know, there's a start, which is the technical part getting up to your speed there's a speed endurance um there's a strength part of it then there's the endurance part of it and you train for those at certain times specifically and then you bring it all together at a certain time so you actually start with the um strength endurance is is the horrible part of training which actually replicates the last part of the race so if you want to look at it we train over from october all the way to the start of the season on the specifics of the race backwards backwards the last bit you start that you work on is the technical stuff the start and you know and all that sort of stuff so you you have block training blocks over certain weeks um so you might do the certain same training session for maybe you know each day for each week for six weeks but then after six weeks that block changes and it changes again and you have to change it up because the body will get used to what it's doing Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk to people about training, track and field, weights, staying in shape, I always say, if you want to improve, you've got to treat your body like a credit card. And when you get a credit card, you get a limit. And that limit might be $1,000. And if you only ever use, I don't know, spend $500 every month and pay it off, they're never going to increase your limit. But if you spend $1,010, pay it all off, $1,010 pay it off. The credit card's going to go, okay, well, they need a bit more, so let's put the limit up to right. 1200 Then you spend $1,210 every month, $1,210 every Then they go, okay, well, you know, good credit, everything, let's get it up to 1500 So you're always pushing and you always have to change the training up a little bit in order for your body to get used to what you're doing. Because the body's a weird thing. Sorry, my camera's moving, so let me check. Um, the body's a weird thing and it will get used to what it's doing. So you always have to change things up and up it and push it yeah. for it to improve. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the training changed. But 
the the second part of that question was when I was at those world championships, it wasn't like I could put in loads and loads of heavy sessions. It was just working on speed and technique and hopefully giving myself that week to continue improving like I was, but I'd say I wasn't in, just wasn't improving right. quick enough um, for those world champs. So it's quite a complicated yeah. process with, with the training. Yeah. Yeah. So a perfect race is doing those four things perfectly. Like, well, the, the, the perfect race is executing your race correctly. So getting a good start, getting the first build up, getting into your running um, on the speed endurance part, you know, the transition from speed endurance, uh, from speed endurance to strength endurance, holding your form down the home track. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Um, a hell of a lot. You know, people yeah. think the gun goes and you just run as quick as you right, can. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's not. You can't sprint over 400 meters for a start. Yeah. Body cannot run flat out for 400 meters. Um, the body can run flat out for about 300 and sorry, about 230 meters. Okay. And then it will naturally start to decelerate. So 100 and 200 you can, the 400 you can't. So it's called a control sprint. So that brings in a whole load of things. Do you go off slow, finish fast? Do you go off fast, finish slow? If you go off fast, finish slow, how fast do you go to be able to finish slower but stronger? If you yeah. go off slow, how, you know, not too slow to be, you know, distance from the rest of it. So it's a real complicated process. It's not as simple, uh, you know, as you think. And it can take years in some cases to learn how to run the 400. And different people run it in different ways, depending on their own individual strengths. Mm. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot to it. Um and I never, ever ran the perfect race. Even when I ran my fastest ever time, I never ran the perfect race. Um, and I always say to people, had I run the perfect race, that would have been my last race ever. Really? Because there would have been no way I could have said, well, I can't go any quicker. Yeah. But there was always things that I could improve or yeah. I felt I could improve. So I, in, in my eyes, I never, ever ran the perfect race. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you get done with the 91 World Championships. Now you're going to Barcelona in 92. And this has become like one of the biggest, like top 25 sports moments of all time. So take us through the Barcelona Olympics and what happened that day on your, in your heat. Um, yeah. So Barcelona Olympics, I went into those games um, expecting two medals. So, you know, quite a small bandwidth, of, you know, uh, of, exactly. of success, a huge bandwidth of, of, of failure. Um, I had, I was carrying some injuries again into the Olympic games. There's a bit of a theme there. But nothing to do with hamstrings, Achilles tendon problems. Um, but pretty much got myself into close to world record shape. I mean, I was flying, I was running. Um, and you know, I won the first two rounds comfortably. I didn't even break a sweat. And I think after the second round, people were starting to say, This kid's, you know, on for a medal. And I think by then I was one of the favorites to medal. Um, comes to the semi-final. I hadn't really pushed myself in the first two rounds. Uh, there's two semifinals. It's the first four to go through to the final 48 hours later. Um, I'd spoke with my coach and my dad and said, right, you know, I'm going to finish this race because all the others I've just eased off and just literally jogged over the line. But I didn't want to take any chances. So I was going to finish the race uh, and run through the line and make sure I, I get one of those first four slots because I got 48 hours before the final plenty of time to recover great start in fact i had the fastest time uh reaction time out of, the, out of the blocks um executed the first part of the race for me the first 90 meters going into the back straight um went into the back straight so again getting a little bit technical one of the things i used to do is i come off that first bend going into the back straight for about 20 meters i used to do what my coach used to refer to as put the burners on and if you imagine a rocket 
with the burners coming on and all the blue, yeah. uh, sorry, you know, the, the red hot sort of thing, just for 20 meters. And then I switched the burners off and I basically freewheel down that back straight. That's the way I would explain it to you. So I'm not trying to push any harder, but I don't want to go any slower. So I've already put a little bit of, I've used a bit of gas um, and, I'm, and I've just put those burners on and they come off. And for the next 110, 115 meters, I will be just staying at momentum, not going any harder, not going any slower. Yeah. And I was running that quick going into the back straight. I decided I'm not going to put those burners on. I'm going to save that gas for the home straight. So I just continued at that pace and freewheeled. And then 50 meters into back straight, I heard a pop. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was something in the crowd. So I carried on running. I thinking I wasn't concentrating. And then about three strides later, I felt this pain. And I'd, I've never been shot. I hope I never will be. But I thought I'd been shot. I literally thought I'd oh, been wow. shot. Wow. Uh, and then my, you know, it came around. And I realized what it was. And I grabbed the back of my leg and, you know, shouted a few choice words. Um, I think it was something along the lines, ouch, oh dear, I think I've pulled my hamstring. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that, yeah? Um, somewhere around there, yeah. Somewhere around there. And then I hit the deck because it's 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 one of the most painful things that you can, wow. you can do. Um, and to give you an idea of speed, that back straight 100 metres, I would run on average in 10.2 seconds. So I'm running quicker down that back straight than the average person can run flat out anyway yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a real you're at speed and it's pretty painful and then you know I hit the deck and you know I just couldn't believe it with all the injury problems and this and that and I remember just you know again using some um, choice words um, just you know why me what have I done I can't believe it and I'm I'm angry I'm annoyed I'm frustrated um, and that went on for about I don't know 15 seconds no more mm-hmm. um, and then I remembered where I was. I'm in the Olympic semi-final. And I remember kind of um, sitting up and looking to see where the other athletes were. And they had about 120, 130 metres to go. And the thought that went through my head is, if I get up now and start running, I'll catch them and I'll still qualify. Um, and people always smile when I, I say that bit. But you, one of the things that you have to remember, to be a champion, Olympic champion, world champion, whatever it is, you have to have two things firing on all cylinders. Physically, you need to be in shape, which is obvious, but also mentally, you need to be in shape. Mm. Now, physically, I'd broken down, but at that point, mentally, I was still mm. still in shape because it hadn't hit. The penny hadn't dropped of what's happened. I was still, you know, in, in, in the zone for want of a better uh, phrase. And that's what got me to my feet, and I start hobbling, uh, and I hobble 50 metres. I'm now at the 200-metre mark. And still thinking I can qualify and I'm catching these guys, I kind of look across the track to see if I was gaining on on the other athletes. And track was empty. And that's, if you like, when the penny dropped, realisation caught up, you know, the, the mental state caught yeah. up with the physical state and I realised it was all over. And I just decided, uh, well, the two choices I had was to stop or to carry on. And I decided... I wanted to uh, finish the race for, for, you know, for a couple of reasons. And they were personal, nothing to do with queen and country, nothing to do with my family, nothing to do with team GB. It was for me. First was, and this came into my head in a flash. First thing was, I didn't want to be beaten by the Olympics again, because my first Olympics four years prior to that was in Seoul. 
and I was expected to possibly win a bronze in the individual, and Great Britain was expected to win another silver um, in the relay. And warming up for the first round, I snapped an Achilles tendon, so I didn't even make it into the stadium. Oh, man. And at that point in Barcelona, when I decided to carry on, as I say, the first thing was I didn't want to be beaten by the Olympics again, and I figured I could live um, I could live for the rest of my life knowing that I finished eighth and got knocked out, but I couldn't live with not finishing at all. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that went through my mind, if I finish eighth and I get knocked out, that gives me foundations to build up to build towards the next Olympics mm. because it's, it's further than I went in the first Olympics. Now yeah. let's go from the air and, and, and go up a bit. Yeah. And that's what made me carry on. And, you know, there was officials and medical staff, thinking, what is this crazy guy doing? And they're trying to come <laughs> on and they didn't know whether to approach me and people are trying to come towards me and I'm kind of fending them off. And mm -hmm. I run that second turn on my own. And then I sense from the left-hand side, I, uh, this I could see from the peripheral vision, this body coming towards me. And it got too close uh, for comfort. And I was just about to kind of, you know, fend them off as well. And I heard a very familiar voice. And my dad's voice, if you ever hear it, sounded like Barry White. I mean, he was just a big, <laughs> booming, deep voice. And he just said, Derek, it's me. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. And I just kind of turned. Now, what I should have said to my dad is, what on earth are you doing? Yeah, how'd you get here? How'd you get, how'd you get here? And what are you doing here? And, yet, and he said to me, look, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. And I said, just get me back into lane. And I'm swearing again. I'm cursing. Lane five. I want to finish this. Boop, 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 racer. Yeah. And, I'm just, you know, completely lost it. Um, and I have to say, it is the first and last time I've ever been able to cuss and swear and shout at my dad and get away with it. <laughs> you know, that would have never happened in any other situation. And he just said, all right, all right, all right, we'll get you back into lane five and we'll finish the race together. And he got me from a hobble to a walk and he, you know, my arm around, and I, that was it. I just lost it. And I can't believe it. And he was just as solid as a rock, as strong as a rock, and just said, look, you've got nothing to prove. You're a champion now. You know, in our eyes, you'll be back. You'll be back. And uh, that was it. Um, went over the line and uh, lost it, got diagnosed. It was a poor ha hamstring. And I had no idea it was going to be voted the third ever greatest Olympic moment. Um, I, You know, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't do it for anybody else. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a selfish I wouldn't say a selfish thing to do, but it was done for personal and selfish reasons. Right. Yeah. Um, I would say personal reasons. I think selfish might be the wrong uh, uh, frame of mind. And it was just a natural reaction that I had to finish that race. Um, my dad's intention when he came on the track was to stop me. Mm -hmm. oh, again, seven, eight days later, we had the relay. We didn't know how bad the injury was. And all he wanted to do was protect the injury and not make it any worse. But yeah. once he realized that I wanted to finish, he sort of said, okay, well, if you're going to finish this race, we'll, you know, we'll do it together. Um, and again, I, we had no idea the effect that, that was going to have. Yeah. Um, and I guess the first little hint was the following morning when in the Olympic village, you know, we get sent newspapers, you know, from the UK and goodness knows what, all the dailies are out there, you know, New York times, this and that, but, and every paper on the front page, not the back, had that story, you know, whether they were English speaking countries or not. And I remember someone knocking on the because I wasn't in a good place by then. And someone knocked on uh, the apartment I was staying in and said, are you in there? I said, yeah, I've got something for you. Oh, what's that? 
and they brought they they must have brought in 50 60 copies of different papers um from around the world all with this stuff in and you know we just couldn't believe it mm. um uh and i guess it could have been taken one of two ways you know what a hero or what an idiot and thankfully <laughs> for me they went with what a hero yeah. um, and even other athletes were emailing me um and messaging me you know i got sent so many messages to my room and i just couldn't believe it i had no idea but at the time it meant nothing because i was in such a you know bad place that i was just so distraught that injury had struck me again um and it I would say it took two years to kind of get over and realize what effect it had on other people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 30 years later, 31 years later, yeah. I still get, you know, comments, messages, emails, texts, whatever it be. And, you know, even people who weren't even alive at the time, how <laughs> they say it's affected their lives and they thank me for being, you know, uh, so strong and it's that. And, you know, um, it's just crazy how, that I don't know that that knee-jerk reaction for want of a better phrase for me just to do that at the time um has has had so much effect on right. you know on so many millions of people it's just to this day it's it's <laughs> it still surprises me I'm, I'm, I'm a blessed you know god rest his soul my dad passed away just last October and you know we used to still get asked to be interviewed by this person, that person. And I'm not just in the UK, internationally. And we used to joke and my dad would say, are they still going on about that? You know, you know? <laughs> And we just couldn't believe that, you know, 25, 30 years later, this was still, yeah. you know, um, something that a lot of people would speak about. Well, it made it relevant to us. You know, we can't run like you and we can't do most of anything anybody's doing in the Olympics like they can do it. But we can recognize when we need to rely on someone else's strength to get us somewhere or when we can recognize when we are you know need something to help us push forward and and i can appreciate that father-son relationship and all of that just made it more personal to us because we're never going to run like you no i think i think one of the things because i had this conversation with my wife and 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 she actually pointed something out a few years ago that i didn't really take into consideration and she turned around and says do you know if it had been a teammate, training partner, Team GB official, your coach, it wouldn't have had the same effect. It's the yeah. fact that it was your dad. Yeah. And you don't have to be an athlete to kind of understand that. All you've got to be is a parent. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I wasn't a parent at the time. I'm, I'm now a parent of four, three girls and one boy. And uh, in fact, I'm also a grandparent of three, um, three kids as well. So there we go. Um, you know, so it affected a lot of people, um, you know, uh, in that way. And I think the fact that it was my dad that came out onto the track, I think that was a massive, massive um, thing that pulled on people's hearts. That was, you know, uh, and, and people could relate to it. And, and, and as you just said, you know, you might not be able to relate running that quick in an Olympic Games in front of 60, 70, 80,000 people, yeah. but you can relate to wholeheartedly rushing to one of your children's aid, aid, right. whether it be in the Olympic Stadium or in just a local park. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why it really struck a chord with a lot of people. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, it was cool to hear, like, to hear the compli the complicated process of the race 
that was how complicated it was in your mind in that 15 seconds or whatever of the process you had to go through. So it's it's cool to hear that all those things were going on. Yeah. Because yeah, like you say, we yeah. think, oh, you just take off yeah. and run. Yeah. But yeah, there's so yeah, much more think, to it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like in any sport, there's a way, way more to it, you know. Um, and it's quite a, you know, it is a complex, even running 100 meters, it's not just a case of the gun going and you just run as fast as you can, like someone's, like the dog is chasing you or something like that, you know. <laughs> there's so much more, you know, more to it. And the 400 is 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 is, is no different. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something you'll take with you too. And your parenting and your grandparenting, you know, that will be, you'll forever hold in your heart, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I try and be as good a parent to my kids as my dad was to me. Um, uh, I don't think <laughs> I am, but you know, I do, I do, I'm doing okay. But yeah, you know, um, it's that um, that you're talking about. Your dad said a, your dad said a very high level. Yeah. yeah. Very high standard. Yeah. But no, yeah. you know, um, but yes, you know, so I, I, you know, it's, it's something that's, you know, we all, we all rule, teach, guide, advise um, through experience, whether it's what you've learned, whether it's what you've found out yourself, whether it's what you've seen on TV, whether it's what you've read about, is whether what you've emulated and copied of other people. We are a, a, a product of what we've been through all our lives. Yeah. including our parenting and the way that our parents, you know, um, you know, I, I look at some of the things I say and do now, and I think, Oh my God, I sound like my dad. You know? <laughs> you know? And, and that's a child's worst nightmare to say, sound right, like yeah. our parents. but we all end up sound that way because we are going, you know, we are still uh, a lot of what we learned from them is, 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 is what makes us the person we are. Um, all the good things, all the bad things, all the great relationships, all the bad relationships, they make us the person that, you know that 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 we become, and 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 that's no different with me. But you you do you know what we're talking about, like with the grit, like yeah. the society of t- young people now that they just don't seem to have that. And that's a generalization. Yeah, though. it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 you're right. You know, a bit of a sweeping statement. But the world has changed. You know, um, again, very sweeping statement. Um, even with the exp- I mean, my kids are all older. My oldest is 29. My youngest is 24 um two 24 year old guys 26 year old girl and a 29 year old lad and when they were growing up even when they were you know high school age you know 15 16 17 they expected a lot more for a lot less work and that seemed to be the general consensus um silly example and you know kids when they're young and you know one of my my wife's half spanish and so we used to go to Spain quite a bit and stay over there for a month or whatever. She goes to see family. And one time we were over there, all four kids are there, her mum and dad who live in the UK, but went back, we stayed with um, her sister, a partner. And and I hired a bigger, or we hired an apartment, big apartment, and all of us stayed there. And it was above a really nice, typical European cake and pastry shop. You know, and you would go past and there was all these wonderful cakes and pastries. And, we, you know, we'd go and grab a coffee and then go and get one of these pastries and take it back up to the apartment. Is now every morning we did that. So my daughter, one of my daughters turned and said, oh, this is lovely. She says, that's what I want to do. I want to become a baker and have my own shop. And I said, oh, brilliant. So I said, have you given it any thought? She goes, oh, God, yeah, it's going to be simple. You'll give me the money. I'll open the uh, bakery. <laughs> and that'll be it. I went, oh, so I'm giving you the money. So I said, what, am I a partner with you? And she went, no and she was deadly serious 
Yeah. Now, the point of that little story is that's kind of the mindset that um, my kids grew up with that, you know, we would give it to them and they wouldn't need to give back or return or, you know, it was just the way that it was. And it doesn't get any easier. We live in a instant world now. If, you know, when I was young, uh, and, you know, it might have been the same for you guys when we was at high school and we had to study about, I don't know, Henry VIII. We had to go and get encyclopedias and right, go to yeah. the library and look. Now they Google, cut and paste, and it's straight on a bit of paper and they hand it in. Yeah. I, I remember going through that again when my girls were at school. Um, and their homework, they'll have to study whatever it be. And they literally Googled it, cut, paste, cut, paste on a Word document and handed that in. And I'd say, that was great. But what, what did the first paragraph say? What did it say about Henry VIII? When was he born? How many wives did he had? How old was he before he died? When did he become king? They haven't got a clue because they've not read anything. They've just seen Henry VIII. This bit looks good. Copy, paste. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we it, it's and it, so I don't blame them. It's the world that we live in. Um, I, I don't know about, um, again, you know, um, in, in your country, but, you know, the world of influencers, the world of reality TV yeah. um, has made it a lot more difficult to install, instill, and again, sweeping statement, that that hard work really pays. Yeah. And I'm not saying influencers don't work hard. I'm not saying reality stars don't work hard. But unfortunately, the image sometimes that they portray means people can just say, well, I'm just going to get myself a social media account on whatever platform it is, do a load of photographs, um, a load of videos, millions of people will follow me and I'll make it. Yeah. Doesn't quite work like that, you know, and unfortunately, there's a, a billion people trying it and maybe a few hundred or a couple of thousand will make it. Uh, So... I think that in society, we've kind of lost that perspective. Mm. And that's something very difficult to kind of get people to come back to because of the way the world, yeah. you know, the way, way that the world is. Um, possibly went a bit too deep there, but hopefully that kind of explains what <laughs> oh, I'm I, I, well, I, Yeah, the, the rewards of struggle can really help you. It makes you stronger yourself yeah. just going through the struggle. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, people always say to me, you know, as a business performance coach or a motivational speaker, the stuff that I do, people always say to me, what's your, you know, I get asked loads of questions and some people say, what's your version um, of success? And I say, simple, getting up one more time than you've been knocked down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Exactly. Because, you know, you might get knocked down a million times, but if you get up a million and one, you know, uh, and people kind of look around and say, well, you, you take Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. you know, people think that he started Amazon and that was it. That was like his 16th or 17th yeah. at a company. Yeah, And I think, I don't know how many of the previous companies actually went bankrupt. And people think he just came up with the idea of Amazon and it flew. Yeah. It did. You know, he went, he had all the problems and he 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 walked on so much broken glass and thorns and, you know, um, razors before he got. And I always have this image yeah. of um, Jeff Bezos on a rostrum with thousands and thousands, millions of people waving at him. And he's like that a very high rostrum. But behind him are all these steps covered in glass, hot ashes, mm. broken bottles, all sorts. And he's had to walk on all of those and it's only the last few steps that are carpeted and 
you know, yeah. And, yeah. and as he starts at the bottom, whatever he's walking on goes from really horrible and it slowly gets better and better and better until he ends up on that top roster. Yeah. And most people have only ever heard of Jeff Bezos when he got to that top right. roster. They don't realise all the other steps that he got through to get to there. And I just use him as an example. There's millions right. of people that have also been, you know, walked that same kind of pathway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's seeing the results of all the hard work and just thinking, oh, he's just a rich guy. Yeah. And you don't think, okay, how did he Oh, get he's it? lucky. Oh, it's all right for you. Yeah. It's all right for you. Yeah, oh, it's all right for you. I mean, the amount yeah. of times I hear that, oh, yeah, it's all right for you. Yeah. yeah but I have to go through lots of things to get to where, right. you know, I am. Right. Um, not, not quite a Jeff Bezos yet. Maybe one day. <laughs> who knows? But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, and, and, and people always say, oh, you're lucky. It's not luck. You know, it's it's good fortune. It's fortune, but it's those who are prepared. You know, you, you do make your own luck, and it's those prepared, you know, those who are prepared to fail yeah. that are the ones that will go on and learn from that failure, you know. Um, and, you know, two boxers go into a ring wanting to win, but they also know I could lose this. And actually, a lot of the times, it's the ones who are prepared to lose are the ones that become the winners. Uh -huh. They're not afraid of losing. Yeah, and if it means them taking a step forward, then they'll go for it. And they're the, they're the, they're the more dangerous ones. Yeah. yeah, ones who are prepared to lose, not the ones who I only want to win if I, you know, I'm not going. You know, no, it's the ones who said, okay, you might beat me. Yeah, let's go. That's the ones you like. Oh yeah. my goodness, he doesn't care. He doesn't you know? care. They're, they're the dangerous ones. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the ones ready to take some risks. A little more dangerous. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, did any of your kids play sports? Two out of the four were quite sporty. So one of my daughters, Grace, she was an international athlete, very good at netball as well. Um, she was, a funny enough, a 400-meter runner as well. My oldest lad was very good at rugby, had a scholarship. Okay. Um, they're not involved in sport now. My son runs a very successful uh, business um, in recruitment. My daughter works for, uh, that particular daughter works at an advertising agency. She now lives in London. And the other two, I would say, have Olympic standards at, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you so, mentioned netball. What's netball? Sorry? You you mentioned she played netball. What's netball? Netball is a version of basketball, but you're not allowed to dribble with the ball. Oh, really? So okay. Throw it without, yeah, it's called netball. Um, um, so it's, it's a bit like basketball, but you can't dribble with the ball. As soon as you've got to get the ball, you've got to stay stationary and pass it. It's a big game over here. Um, okay. so it's in the Olympic Games. Um, and when she was 13, she tried out for England under 18s at the age of 13 and got upset when she didn't get in. I said, you're a child playing against women. You know, I mean, come on, you get this far, you've done well. But we're back to those bandwidths of, you know, what she was expected. And what right, she was yeah. So how does Derek do in the stands with his kids competing? Are you pretty calm? Or are you like? Very calm. Very you? calm. I stay out of the way. Um, I, I will give advice when and where if they ask me. Yeah, um, but I'm not one of those pushy parents that's going hit him, hit him, go on, <laughs> you know. What are you doing? You're embarrassing the family. No, no, I'm not one of those parents at all. Uh, I'm actually quite the opposite, very quiet. Um, and then I will cheer them on, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then after the game, you know, pretty much they'll ask, you know, what did you think this and that, and they, I'd give them my advice, or if they would ask me. Um, I would, you know, give advice. I remember, I remember my daughter when she was competing. She's right. Well, she's running an indoor meet, and she said, "I'm really not happy with my warm up, Dad. Um, with what my coach gave me." And I said, "Okay." She goes, "Look, at my next meet, will you go through what you deem as a good warm up?" 
uh, with me and i said yeah 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 so what i'll do is i'll write it down for you send it to you so you got an idea and then we'll uh, you know the track mate um i'll come down and do it in the, in the warm-up room with you and uh, i said as long as your coach knows that you're doing that because i didn't want to tread on his toes yeah and she did that and she said, yeah absolutely brilliant and she goes i always felt that i hadn't quite warmed up and the warm-up of today is a lot shorter than the warm-up of yesteryear for one of a bit so i said so i said look what i'm saying to you this isn't the only way to warm up but here's the way i warmed up or a version of this is what you do i think somewhere in between that you'll find something that works for you yeah uh, and it took her a few weeks whatever trying different things out and it works so yeah i help him that way but i'm not a embarrassing parent on the sideline <laughs> yeah, yeah that's awesome well derek thank you so much for taking yeah. time with us today you're inspirational we love your story and all your even your parenting tips and your grandparenting tips <laughs> i mean i learned a lot about track today i told you i'm not a runner don't i did not know that there that that went into that i think i could have grasped of everything, the the mental stability it takes for what you've done. And so we just appreciate you taking time to talk to us today and tell us all about you and your family. Oh, my pleasure. I see you're back in your garb again. Yep. I'm he inspired <laughs> he is so inspiring. He is very inspiring. That I've decided I'm gonna go for it. And well, I realize it's gonna take longer than I thought it was going to take. And yes. it's gonna take a lot more work than I thought. It is. Do you yeah. know what I took away from this interview? What's that? I, I would just like from here forward for us to call our kids lad can we do that oh yeah i think it's so cool well everything he says is cool <laughs> with that cool accent so but so many words to live by yeah I, it was just so cool to be able to talk to him it was it was yeah. great so if you could be an olympic sport would it really be running i don't know if i would do running yeah i don't know i my dream would be like to be on the dream team in basketball oh yeah but i don't have much of a shot at that either uh -huh, a shot. <laughs> yeah uh -huh. oh, let's see what i did there, I see what you did there. so what would your sport be i know i've always i probably would have always said dressage but for some reason something that sounds so cool to me is archery okay I, when you were talking about that archery pulled popped into my head yeah because in what year did we go to atlanta what year was that it was 96 96 mm -hmm. we went to the atlantic Atlanta Olympics. Yes. And I went to go see archery, and I think you went to go see equestrian. I went, yeah, day. I went to the dressage. And the archery was so fascinating. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just think that would be fun. It looks expensive though. Even isn't there some kind of rifle shooting too? Like yeah. I think I would probably like that too. You're pretty good at the rifle shooting. You For can. Some reason, you can hit a clay. I don't know why? I'm really good at clay shooting. <laughs> So maybe you go for clay, I'll go for archery. We can train at the same we can time. Train at the same time, yeah. yeah because this, my two to three hours, it's going to take more than that. And now we yeah. know. And I can still wear my cool workout garb mm -hmm. while I'm if training. If you want for the, to, you yeah. sure can. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed this interview with Derek Redman. He was so amazing. Party, party, five and a half, over and out. We'll see you next time.